In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, Amen. I'd like to welcome you all to our Perseverance Family Conversation, and as always, it's great to be with you. We'd like to start our conversation by praying, and by inviting Mary, who is the Mother of God, the Mother of the Church, and the Mother of each and every one of us to be with us. At the end of the Rosary, we, we pray the Hail Holy Queen, this we also invoke Mary as our life, our sweetness, and our hope. So let's lift up our gaze to Mary, who is also known as Stella Maris, the star of the sea. That through our prayers we would be enlightened and our hearts will be set on fire for love of God. So let's pray the prayer that Mary loves most. And that's the Hail Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. <coughs> now, my friends, let's invite to be with us our spiritual director. Who is our spiritual director? Our spiritual director, my friends, is the Holy Spirit. And among the many titles that we can give to the Holy Spirit, and there are many, are the following. Holy Spirit is the paraclete. Holy Spirit is the gift of gifts. Holy Spirit is the sweet guest of the soul. Holy Spirit is also known as our counselor. He's also known as our consoler. The Holy Spirit is also known as the sweet guest of our soul. What a beautiful title. And the Holy Spirit is our interior master or our teacher. For that reason, the great apostle St. Paul reminds us with these words. We don't know how to pray as we ought. But good news. The Holy Spirit intercedes with ineffable groans so that we can say, Abba. Abba, which means Daddy or Father. So let's invite the Holy Spirit to come to be with us. As we say, Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and enkindle within us the fire of your divine love. Send forth your spirit, and they shall be created. And thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. 
O God, who did instruct the hearts of your faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us that by the same Spirit we might be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation. Through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be. World without end. Amen. Our Lady Guadalupe, pray for us. St. Joseph, pray for us. St. Michael the Archangel, pray for us. St. Gabriel, pray for us. St. Raphael, pray for us. St. Ignatius of Loyola, pray for us. St. Francis Xavier, pray for us. St. Charles de Foucauld, pray for us. Well, guys, angels and saints, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. How true, my friends, the family that prays together stays together. Once again, I'd like to encourage all of you encourage all of you by prayer. And I'll be praying for you in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass today. I'll place you on the altar. And these will be among my many my many intentions. First, I'd like to pray in a special way. I'd like to pray that all of us would be open to the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit. That we'll be docile to his heavenly inspirations. Perhaps you can say this short prayer that I pray. And it's, Come Holy Spirit, come. Come Holy Spirit, come through the heart of Mary. Come Holy Spirit, come. Come Holy Spirit, come through the heart of Mary. So let's pray that we would all be docile and open to the Holy Spirit today. My next intention will be, I'd like to pray for all of us that we would make a concerted effort to grow in our own formation in the faith. This is called permanent formation. Perhaps to start today to read a really good book that will help you to get to know your faith better. 
maybe open up the Catechism of the Catholic Church or the UCAT. Maybe read one of the doctors of the church or father of the church. Or maybe read a papal encyclical. These are all means by which we can work on our own permanent formation. Or perhaps read the life of a saint. It's not universal, but today would be the the new saint who was canonized 2020, St. Charles de Foucauld. Canonized by Pope Francis just a short time ago. Getting to know the lives of the saints is very important. My third intention will be to pray for the conversion of sinners. But I'd like to pray especially for the conversion of deathbed sinners. Those who are dying now, dying today, and they're not prepared. They're not prepared, but that they would open up their hearts to God. They would beg for God's mercy. Until our dying breath, there is hope for salvation. Once we die, we pass from God's mercy into God's justice. So one of the key acclamations for Advent is we have to be prepared. Let's cast off the work, works of darkness and put on the armor of light, as St. Paul says. All right, before entering into our readings for today, I'd like to make a suggestion for all of us. That we speak by means of symbols. We teach our children also by means of symbolic gestures and actions and objects. You noticed a few days ago when we entered into the holy season of Advent, you noticed that on the altar there was something different. There was what is called the Advent wreath. The Advent wreath is one of the key symbols of Advent. Now, I've given a, a few formation classes this past week to the teenagers as well as to the parents. We asked the question, how many of you already have your Advent wreath in your homes? And most did not have it. That might be your case also. So I would strongly encourage all of you, if you don't have the Advent wreath, to to try, maybe go within the next day or two, and try to purchase an Advent wreath. Some even make their own Advent wreath, whatever. But you should have an Advent wreath in these four weeks. 
And then after you have the Advent wreath, you should understand the meaning of the symbolism. So I'd like to give you, as we start today, an interpretation of the symbolism of the Advent wreath. And then when you're passing by the Advent wreath, I suggest you place it in a place where there's most traffic in your family. Perhaps in the living room where you have your meals with your family, place it in a very visible place so that everyone can see it. Often during the course of the day, when they're at home. So here's the symbolism. The Advent wreath is circular. Circle is not a triangle, nor a rectangle, nor a straight line. A circle, my friends, has no beginning and no end. That points to the reality of God. One of the many attributes that we give to God is God is eternal. By eternal means that God has no beginning and God has no end. He's also infinite, which means he's without limits. So think about the eternity of God. God from God, light from light, true God from true God. Begotten, not made. One in being with the Father. Through him all things were made. We had a beginning, but we have no end. Our beginning started with our conception, but we have no end. Because God infused a soul within us and this soul is immortal, meaning it will never die. So by looking at the Advent wreath, you're thinking about God's eternity. Next. Normally the Advent wreath is green. Green is actually color that represents hope. Hope. So in the midst of the trials and tribulations of life, the setbacks, our sufferings, and many crosses that we have to carry, we should have hope. We should have our eyes lifted on high. Recognizing, my friends, that life is very short. We're here today, we're gone tomorrow. We are like the lilies of the field that sprout up in the morning and wither and die as the sun goes down. So, green is for hope. Green is for hope. One way in which we can cultivate that is by cultivating a love for the whole concept of divine mercy. 
And when we're tempted not to have hope or to be lacking in trust, to say five times, Jesus, I trust in you. 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 To renew our hope. And hope and confidence are are intertwined. They're very much related. Then in the middle of this Advent wreath, you'll see candles. Four candles. You're just tuning in. I'm explaining the importance of having an, an Advent wreath and I'm giving you the symbolic interpretation that you can use this talk for your children. Maybe after school they can actually listen to this conversation before dinner. Now, candle. Candle is symbolic of many things. One is the lighted candle points to Jesus Christ. And he said, I am the light of the world. He said, I am the light of the world. Christ is our light. He's our teacher. He's our guide. He's the way, the truth, and the life. But not only did he say, I'm the light of the world, but he said that you are the light of the world. We are called to be a light to others. This is done by holiness of life. We should strive to grow in holiness, in holiness of life. As our Lord said, be holy as your heavenly Father is holy. The universal call to holiness. Sometimes when I'm working with children, even saying Mass, I will have the two candles lighted on the altar and they blow out one. And they look at it. Wow, why why did Father blow out the candle? Now ask the question, are you the candle that is lighted or are you the candle that has been extinguished? The candle that is lighted is when you're good. When you get up on time. Lighted candle. When you say your morning prayers, lighted candle. When you obey your parents, lighted candle. When you do your homework on time, lighted candle. When you help your little sister, lighted candle. When you pray the rosary well, lighted candle. When you set the table when your mother tells you to do it, lighted candle. When you help your companion at school that's struggling with math, lighted candle. When you smile at your grandmother who's sad, light a candle. So, so, then I'll say to them, what about, what about when you're talking back 
candle that's blown out. When you lie, candle is extinguished. When you disobey your mother, candle blown out. When you fight with your sister, candle is blown out. So this whole idea of the candle, the candle is symbolic. The candle is symbolic of Christ, who is the light of the world, and we are called to be also the light of the world. Christ is the light of the world, and we're called to be the light of the world also. All right, then you have the candles. There are actually four candles. It's interesting that Advent, we are now in the longest, the longest Advent possible, chronologically. When Christmas falls on Sunday, then it'll be the longest Advent. Those full, a full four weeks. But it safely falls on, it falls on Wednesday, it's going to be lacking Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. It's going to be three days less. So taking advantage of the fact that this is going to be the longest advent to live it, live it out fully. So the four candles are symbolic of the four Sundays of Advent. So Advent will always have four Sundays. But Advent will sometimes be shorter, sometimes longer, depending upon when we start. So let's go from the number of the candles. Let's go from the number of the candles. To the color of the candles. You notice in the candles there are four candles, but there are three that are purple. One that's pink. When the priest wears a purple chasuble and a purple stole, whenever we're confessing we wear the purple stole, in the season of Advent as well as the season of Lent, the priest will wear the purple garment, which is called the chasuble. The purple garment, which is called the chasuble. The purple garment, which is called the chasuble. Now, purple traditionally is a color of penance and conversion. 
were always called to be converted. Actually, the first preaching of Christ in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus says, Be converted because the kingdom of God is at hand. In Greek, the word is metanoia, a change of attitude, change of lifestyle. In one way, my friends, in which we can arrive at this real conversion of life is by going to the sacrament of confession. Undoubtedly, we're we're weak and we do fall. By receiving the sacrament confession frequently, fervently, and with good disposition is the most efficacious means by which we can arrive at our own conversion. So in this season of Advent, let's try to prepare ourselves to make a really good confession. To really make a good confession. All right, as mentioned, there are four candles, three purple, and then there's a pink candle. Why would we have a pink candle among the four? It's interesting that only twice in the whole church year, only twice in the whole church year, can the priest come out in Mass wearing a pink vestment? That would be the third Sunday of Advent. The third Sunday of Advent, but then it would be also the fourth Sunday of Lent. Third Sunday of Advent. And there would be the fourth Sunday of Lent. And pink, or rose color, symbolizes, my friends, joy. In Lent, because it's close to Holy Week, the Easter Triduum, and the Passion, Death, and Resurrection of Christ, which are the key moments in the history of our salvation. Whereas in Advent, the third Sunday of Advent, the third Sunday of Advent, is we're very close to Christmas, which is the birthday of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The birthday of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So that pink, 
symbolic of joy. When St. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord, I say it again. Rejoice in the Lord. All shall see how unselfish you are. The Lord is near at hand. Rejoice in the Lord, I say it again. Rejoice in the Lord. All should see how unselfish you are. The Lord is near at hand. Then, then, on Christmas, in the very middle of the Advent wreath, you will see a place, uh, another candle. It'll be a white candle. And that, light, that white candle is for the birthday of Christ. Also, candles are used when we're celebrating birthdays. And of course, the greatest, of course, the greatest, the greatest of all birthdays would be the birthday of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So, let's all make this decision to to have the Advent wreath in a prominent place in our family possibly in the dining room where there's most traffic now the past 15 minutes I've made an effort to explain to you not simply the Advent wreath, but the different symbolic gestures you have in the Advent wreath. Sometimes you might even see an apple on the Advent wreath. That refers to the sin of Adam and Eve and how Christ, through Mary, came to redeem us from that original sin of our first parents. So we communicate, my friends, through signs and symbols. All right, let's move into the readings. I'd like to take one verse from Isaiah chapter 26. In this, these few words, trust in the Lord forever. Trust in the Lord forever. Those are verses taken from Isaiah chapter 26. And Isaiah compares God to being an eternal rock. Okay, so trust in the Lord forever. I said it earlier, and I'll say it again. God will send us trials and tribulations 
and difficulties and sufferings and setbacks that has happened to us in our lives. It will happen during the whole course of our lives. We're going to have sufferings, setbacks. That's a time in which maybe life doesn't seem to have much sense or meaning. Maybe we're going through a dark night, a tunnel. Maybe the clouds, the mist are blurring our vision. Those are the times in which we want to place our trust in God all the more. Trust in the Lord forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. If God is with us, who can be against us? The Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom should I fear? When I'm weak, then I'm strong. The Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I shall want. God is our Alpha and our Omega, our principle and our end. Do not be afraid I am with you. My friends, I'll be with you always until the end of time. So I've given you about ten different biblical verses just off the top of my head related to the the topic of trusting God. So Isaiah, Isaiah invites us, exhorts us, trust. He says, trust in the Lord, not sometimes. He says, trust in the Lord forever. The responsorial psalm, the antiphon is, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. My friends, let's have a great reverence and respect for the name of the Lord. St. Paul says that the name of Jesus, every knee in heaven and earth and below the earth should bow. Years ago when we were taught by those good nuns, they would teach us when we hear the name of Jesus to bow your head. If you notice, if any of you have ever participated in my Mass, you notice whenever you participate in my Mass, every time I say the name Jesus, I bow my head, as well as the name of Mary, as well as the saint of the day. Did you know that that's not my private practice? It's not my private practice, but rather those are in the liturgical rubrics and when the priest is celebrating the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass upon mention the name of Jesus, we bow our heads. So that's the one reflection I give to you from Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now let's move, my friends, to the Gospel. Recently, I was able to see 
another episode of Chosen in the Edward Cinema. There are actually two episodes together. And the first episode of his third section is basically taken from the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is surrounded by thousands of people. And according to the apostles, he gave his best homily, his best sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, which you can find in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And Matthew, the scribe, was writing this down. Writing it down. So, what we have today... What we have today, my friends, in the Gospel is the very last part of the Sermon on the Mount. Very last part of the Sermon on the Mount. Which which would be the latter part of Matthew chapter 7 putting the icing on the cake, so to speak. And this Jesus gives us a parable, and it's a marked literary contrast. So I'd like to go through this with you. In my style of preaching and teaching in our Perseverance family, I'd like to summarize the passage I like to I like to give an interpretation of it, and finally I like to give a practical application. That is to say, how can we how can we put into practice? How can we put into practice or apply uh, put into practice or apply the word of God to our lives? Apply the word of God to our lives. So Jesus starts off by saying to his disciples and to us, not everyone, not everyone says, Lord, Lord. Not everyone says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of of heaven but only the one who does the will of my father in heaven not everyone who says Lord Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my father in heaven that's Matthew chapter 7 verse 21 There's a lot that can be said on that verse. But one comment, you might call it an ecumenical comment, is the following. For many of the mainline Protestants, they believe that salvation comes from faith and faith alone. And many of the, the mainline Protestants will go on to say that 
faith. Once we place our faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, then we're saved. And many of them believe once saved, always saved. That's why usually when there's a, a Protestant revival, there's usually the altar call where some are asked if they receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and people will stand up. For us as Catholics, is very different. We have to be born twice by being born physically, but by water and the Spirit. Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless you be born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And Paul will go on to say, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. So to attain to our salvation, we must have two things. We have to have faith in Christ. He's our Savior. But faith is not good enough. Of the three theological virtues, which are faith, hope, and charity, the greatest of all these virtues is charity. Faith comes first because faith is the intellectual virtue in which we believe. Hope is when we trust. As we said in Isaiah, trust in the Lord forever. But charity is indispensable for our salvation. Charity is another word for love, supernatural love. Which there are two dimensions, loving the, you've got the vertical and the horizontal. The vertical is our love for God. Horizontal will be our love for our neighbor. So what I'm arriving at is the following. That our salvation comes about by placing our faith in Christ but by obeying him by our actions. And our actions are going to manifest our love for God and our love for our neighbor. St. James will go on to say in his letter, faith without works is dead. Jesus many, many times mentions the importance of faith, but also works as we have today. Not all those who say, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, but those who do the will of my Heavenly Father. Our Lord will also say, I was hungry and you gave me to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was a foreigner and you welcomed me. I was sick and in prison and you visited me. When, Lord? Whenever we do it to the least of my brothers, we do it to Christ. Why was the why was the fig tree cursed and withered up? Because the fig tree is symbolic of us. We're called to be bringing forth fruit in all times 
in all places, in all circumstances. Now, the first reading, Isaiah says that the Lord is an eternal rock. The Lord is an eternal rock. Now, the nature of the rock is its hard, its solidity, its strength, its firmness, its security, its stability. Those are all descriptive words of what a rock is. In contrast to sand. So our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will build upon this whole concept of rock at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So this is what the Lord will say. He says, everyone who listens to my words and acts on them. So Jesus is saying, we have, to, we have to listen to his words, but we have to act on them. They, the beautiful example of Mary who listened to the word of God and the Annunciation, then Mary moves in haste to put into practice, put into practice and action the word of God. Mary is our model in contemplation and action. For that reason, Mary was a contemplative in action and we're called to be a contemplative in action also. A contemplative in action as Fulton Sheen would comment, first come and then go. First come and then go. So going back to the image of Christ, everyone who listens to these words of mine and acts on them is like a man, a wise man who has built his house on what? On rock. The rock that we've already heard in Isaiah. A rock. The rock in its solidity. So Jesus goes on depicting a typical scene of nature. The rain came. The rain fell. The floods came. And the winds blew and buffeted the house. But that house did not collapse. Why? For the obvious reason, because that house was actually built 
on a solid rock, had a very solid rock foundation. Then our Lord gives, He gives a contrast. He gives a contrast. And Jesus actually uses a strong word. Whoever listens to my words but does not act upon them. Jesus says, he calls this man a fool. For the man who builds his house on the rock is a wise man, an intelligent man. Whereas the other one, Jesus calls him a fool. He says that we shouldn't call people a fool, but our Lord can call people a fool. He can Why? Because he didn't build his house on rock, he built his house on what? On sand. So, his house is built on sand. Now the rain falls, the floods come, and the winds blew and buffeted the house. What happened to that house? That house collapsed and was completely ruined. All right, let's give the interpretation and the application to our own lives. Let's give the interpretation and the application to our own lives. The house would be our souls. We are actually the house of God. St. Paul says that we're the house of God. We're his handiwork. It's our soul. It's our spiritual life. Now, either we have our spiritual life or soul, a spiritual life built on rock or it's built on sand. Okay, built on rock. Built on sand. One of the best ways I believe for us to have our house built on solid rock. And this is Ignatian spirituality. Is to have a written plan of life. To have a spiritual director. And to try to live out your plan of life. And it would be a good idea each year to revisit that plan of life and to reform it. That's right. Building upon this concept of having a plan of life.
I've written four books. Just a few weeks ago, my fourth book came out, The Marion Compendium. I invite you all to get my new book, Marion Compendium, and to come to my course Sunday at 1.30 at St. Peter Chanel. You're invited. But the book before, the book before, the book before, published by Tan Publisher, is called The Road Map to Heaven. This came about after many years of given the exercises that given the plan of life for more than a quarter of a century, I decided to actually write a book on the plan of life. In my book, Road Map to Heaven. In this, I offer you three different plans of life. Two for adults and another one for teenagers. It's a chronological plan of life, what we can do every year, month, week, day, hour, minute. Then a professional plan of life, how we can work in different aspects of our professional life and improve them. Then he gave the five M's for young people. Five short, concrete practice that young people can try to live out to establish for themselves their own rock foundation. So I honestly believe, my friends, a way in which we can have a solid rock foundation And as St. Ignatius of Loyola says in annotation number one in the text, to order the the disorder so that we can seek, discover God's will for our lives and to carry it out. So to order the disorder by composing, writing out a plan of life. Then with the help of a good spiritual director to try to implement it or to put it into practice. Now the opposite of the house being built on rock and that rock is Christ building our life on Christ by concrete actions as I've mentioned Building our lives on sand, my friends, is living our lives based on feelings and emotions, which basically change like the weather. It's like in the East Coast, we have what's called a weather cock where you have a rooster on the top of the house and it's blown around by the wind, a weather vane or a weather cock. So those people who only follow their emotions are building their spiritual lives on sand. So once 
once the rain comes down, the floods come, and the winds buffet against the person living simply an emotional life of feelings, his spiritual life will collapse. And he'll end up in ruins. So my friends, let's turn to Mary. At the beginning of this Advent season. Let's turn to Mary, who is our life, our sweetness, and our hope. The whole focus of the life of Mary was Christ himself. Let's pray to Mary that Christ will indeed be our solid rock foundation. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.